1: Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. This is John Gabriel, your guest host. I'm Editor-in-Chief at Ricochet. You'll find my articles every, usually on Saturdays at AZ Central. And uh, I also waste far too much time on Twitter. You can catch me there at xjohn, E-X-J-O-N. Yeah, spending a lot of time there uh, trying to keep up with the madness going on from day to day. It's kind of hard to uh, keep up with. Because our culture keeps getting crazier and crazier, and uh, a lot of us are just like, have I lost my mind, or has everyone else lost their minds? Um, Yeah, I think it's mostly other people. I am totally sane. I want everybody to know I am assuring you here. One group that is very insane is California, as they have been for several decades now. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the weather, but they're getting hit pretty hard over the past month or two, rains and snows constantly, and uh, this could be solving their drought for years to come. They've been in a drought for a long time. Of course, Gavin Newsom insists that's climate change because California doesn't have deserts or something like that. They've never had droughts before. Yeah, they've always had droughts. They're cyclical. And the founders, especially of cities in Southern California, built up this fantastic, phenomenal phenomenal infrastructure to uh, catch all the water when it does actually rain or there's a lot of snow melt to end up uh, giving drinking water to the vast populations and especially Southern California, but also in the Bay Area as well. Well, Democrats didn't like that because it was not natural, I guess. So instead – what they did is they got rid of a lot of their dams, got rid of a lot of the reservoirs and made sure that the water, instead of going into our bodies to keep us healthy, instead it gets washed out to the Pacific Ocean quickly. So California expects to see more harsh weather coming up over the next couple of days. So what are they doing? They are letting a bunch of water out of the dam so their dams don't break. Um, Once again, this is water they could be using to take care of their, to solve their drought situation forever. It would actually have knock-on effects for Arizona since uh, California sucks so much water out of the Colorado River. um, They wouldn't need to do that as much if they had a little more common sense, common sense that used to be very common, say about 75 years ago. Since then, California just thinks they can live on borrowed time, pass more laws, and they don't need things like water or agricultural foods from their own state. So uh, California, best of luck there. It's really hard to feel bad for them because, boy, have they asked for it again and again and again. One guy who thinks that he's doing a great job is Gavin Newsom, who apparently wants to be president. He is uh, making a whole lot of... uh, campaign stops around the country. He is trying to declare war on Governor Ron DeSantis among other Republicans, calling Arizona the free or calling California the free state. And here's where people can really figure out who they are and live their best lives. Well, California's population is dropping. It has been for several years now. Um, I first really noticed it, it really, uh, smacked me upside the head about six months into COVID when you're driving around a lot of summer visitors and wow, I saw a lot of California plates because they couldn't really go anywhere in state. They were locked up in their homes, anywhere they would want to visit was locked up. So they're coming to Arizona, even in the summer, they're up in, yeah, I remember one time that summer we went up to Pine Top and man, was it packed just people everywhere And since then, many of those people who are here for a visit ended up buying homes and moving here. Hopefully, they will leave their poor voting records at home. But thankfully, most of the folks that I've talked to who came over from California were fleeing the madness. You know, a lot of these people thought, well, let's just stick around and fight it. But boy, California really seems lost. One benefit that they've had over the past several years is a whole bunch of money coming from Silicon Valley... But we found out earlier today the Silicon Valley Bank has failed. The feds have taken over. Um, This affects a lot of people I know. It might actually hold up a couple days, one of my paychecks. So hopefully it's fixed very quickly because uh, I've done quite a bit of work for a startup. It started up back in the day. But this is the second worst bank failure um, since Washington Mutual. I think that was the worst. Um, But once again, Biden is assuring people everything's fine. All the other banks are doing great. Let's hope they're right about this. Um, They haven't been right about a whole lot else. I think the big challenge going forward for the country is in 2008, we had the housing bubble crisis. Big deal, hurt a whole bunch of people. The economy was in very rough shape for many years. It was not helped by uh, Obama's reaction to it. By spending a lot more money. But this country is $31 trillion in debt. We were about $10 trillion when that happened, uh, or 9 I think. Um, yeah, now we're at $31.5 trillion. Nobody wants to do anything about it. Um, a couple people Chip Roy, fantastic congressman out of Texas, he has raised the alarm about it. Thomas Massey of Kentucky, another Republican, he's also tried to highlight this. Rand Paul as well. But uh, most people in Washington, in either party, just think we can borrow forever. Well, um, just prepare yourself because when the debt bubble bursts, um, which, you know, you can't – if something can't continue on forever, it won't. And uh, Washington needs to either control this themselves or one day we're going to wake up and say, hey, where's all those digital numbers that I usually see in my bank account? So they really have to get this together somehow. But as I was talking about with Bethany Mandel, she talked about the need for kids to be resilient and to be prepared for rough times instead of collapsing and falling apart anytime they're uncomfortable about anything, whether their own bodies, whether somebody didn't give a trigger warning before teaching a class. No, we need to make sure that our kids are tough and resilient and because that way when the tough times hit, they will respond well, they will rise to the occasion. Um, As the rest of us, I'm Gen X, so I still got a few more years in the saddle. But as older generations kind of move on, move on to retirement and things, we need a generation of go-getters, doers, and uh, make sure that our American system is set up for them to succeed rather than to control them, rather than kind of wrangle them in and make them all follow the party line that the government wants to set. It doesn't work. It's never worked. Thankfully, with the Republicans in charge of the House, they're holding a lot of hearings about what's been going on the past couple of years, the weaponization of government. We've seen a lot of that. Uh, They're talking about the COVID lockdowns, huge scandal in the UK, because somebody released 100,000 WhatsApp text messages from various government leaders talking about when do we release the next variant? How do we scare the heck out of people to make sure they obey us? And meanwhile, many of these politicians were not following the guidelines. They were going out, out meeting girlfriends, having affairs, um, going to parties um, behind closed doors secretly. Um, now, those days are over, and a lot of us were very skeptical of all these crazy lockdowns and so forth. Look, in the first couple weeks, yeah, you might have been a little freaked out. Politicians want to be extra careful But if you didn't realize that um, this was an overreaction by a couple weeks in, that you didn't need to be doing curfews and shutting down schools, um, I don't know if I trust you for the next uh, crisis that hits this country. Um, It seems pretty obvious to most of us now. Well, it seemed pretty obvious to most of us then as well. Um, There's a way that you can have precautions without creating these one-size-fits-all solutions that all they did is make people cancel Medical appointments like cancer screenings. I had to delay a cancer screening a year. Thankfully, it worked out fine for me. I'm sure it didn't for a lot of people. Uh, Yeah, we can do many things at once and allowing this um, obviously lab-created virus to um, really harm our country very badly for a couple of years. These politicians who endorse that, they have to deal with that. One big way we see them dealing with that is parents finally saying enough's enough. And uh, they're pulling their kids out of public schools. We're seeing that, especially in Arizona. But we pass these ESAs, which basically make sure that the money follows the student rather than following the school district of whatever zip code a family is living in. Arizona was the first to have this, and it is spreading like crazy, which is great to see. Arkansas just approved a very similar plan. Iowa did about a month before that. West Virginia did. So, uh, yeah, state by state, um, that's where the real action is happening, and people are taking back the power from teachers' unions. They're taking it back from overbearing government officials. America has a bright future as the American people can give it, and that's the government needs to back off, to step away, and let the American people be as awesome, as resourceful, as resilient, as creative as they have proven to be throughout our history. Uh, I've been reading a lot of colonial history even before we were a country. We were a tough group of people, and uh, we, can match, uh, we can match any of our past generations, if only given the chance. Thanks for listening. Be back after this brief break. And at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be talking to Spencer Claven, author of How to Save the West. See you then. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel, editor at ricochet.com, weekly columnist for The Arizona Republic, filling in. Uh, it's great to be on here. It had been a while since I have done this, so I'm like, oh, yeah, how does this work again? How do I talk for three hours? Oh, yeah, I bring in a lot. Of, <laughs> I bring in a lot of guests. So at the bottom of the hour, we have a fantastic author, speaker, and so forth. He is the editor of The American Mind and author of a great new book, called How to Save the West, so he will be up soon. There is actually a little bit of sanity. I've talked about all the insanity going on in the world, but something good happened in Washington, D.C. I can find very few issues where Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC vote the exact same way. Well, they did. What they want to do, it was a unanimous vote in the House, where they want the U.S. government to release all the info they have about the origin of COVID-19. Every single person in either party, of no party, they all endorse this, saying, hey, you can redact information to protect sources and methods. However, we need to have all the dirt you have on where COVID came from. Um, it was a an article of faith among the left during the COVID mess that it couldn't possibly be a lab leak. You know, even to mention it might be a lab leak, well, that's racist. Um, I don't know why it's racist to say um, a horrible communist country that suppresses information and suppressed a lot of information early on about COVID might have had a lab leak, whether intentional or not. Um, and instead to blame it on, I don't know, their propensity to enjoy a steaming bowl of bat soup or pangolin pasta. Um, that seems a little more racist to blame it on wet markets than a lab leak does. But boy, have they been uh, trying to hide this and trying to attack it. You recently had the Department of Energy, the FBI, a few other federal agencies saying, look, we're not sure, but it sure seems like it was a lab leak. That was the obvious um, that was the obvious origin of this. We don't know for sure. We don't have all the information, but good on everybody in the House for trying to force Biden to um, open up about this stuff. Um, they no longer need to protect Fauci. He has retired. Um, he was very against this lab leak theory, calling it a conspiracy theory, trying to shut it down. Maybe because he was really into the gain-of-function research that uh, he had funded in many cases. He had a lot of uh, dirt on his hands, at least. And uh, was he trying to avoid any blame for this, any suspicion on this, or was he somehow materially involved with um, funding what was going on at the Wuhan lab? Um, We really just need to pull away from China. Uh, Another point of sanity is just that both parties are kind of having a contest for who can be tougher on China. That never existed before. Before there was a guy named, what was his name? He was a president. Donald Trump, that was his name. He's the first one who uh, pushed this getting tough on China thing and both parties were horrified. Now everybody is falling all over themselves trying to prove who's tougher on China. I think we all understand that China is a very, very bad actor. They caused, if not created, the COVID virus. They hid that information from the world. They have been suppressing information ever since. They created their own, quote unquote, vaccine, which doesn't work at all. And uh, they're still experiencing lockdowns, shutting down factories and the like. Um, I read about a week ago that Apple has struck an agreement with a plant in India to ship the remaining uh, Chinese manufacturing out of China and into India, it's a little too late for that, Apple. Um, Anybody who's been in bed with China and making some cheap money off it, yeah, you should have left several years ago. Um, You know that they're very bad people. They have very bad ideas. Um, I'm given a little bit of hope if any of you happen to have read any books or um, heard commentary by Peter Zihan. He has a fantastic book that was released about six months ago now. Where he really says it's not looking good for China because they're a top-down, um, a top-down government. Uh, they are terrified to bring him bad news, kind of like the old Soviet leaders were back in the days of the Cold War. And um, they've been handling COVID very badly. They're handling diplomacy very badly. Uh, now even countries who have been very pro-China like Germany and the Netherlands are starting to back away. So, um, instead of being the next international global hegemon uh, to have some kind of a PAx China to replace PAx Americana, I think they're living on borrowed time. The tricky thing about it, and why we can't get too distracted with other military engagements in Europe, is that uh, collapse can go very quickly without anybody suspecting it until it's too late. Will it be violent? Will it be peaceful? Well, we better be prepared for either option. So uh, let's not take our eye off the ball and uh, attacking Russia and Putin, which basically pose almost no threat to us, and instead um, concentrate on what's going on in Asia as well. That could be a much, much bigger deal if they try to seize Taiwan or something. But boy, China is in for a world of hurt. I agree with Peter Zihan about this, and uh, we have to continue to hold their feet to the fire When it comes to um, being honest about the stuff, as honest as we can make them, uh, challenging them on all the espionage, uh, whether corporate or governmental or military, we just need to hold their feet to the fire on all this because we know, look, we took a gamble and thought, boy, if we help their economy, they're going to become Democrat or Democratic. That did not work. Everybody knows that was a failure. So now we just have to make sure that we're protecting not only our allies, but most of all, protecting the United States of America in the event that China is in for a rocky few years. So I think it's fantastic that the House is trying to force Joe Biden to release COVID origin information, but the White House has not said if they're going to sign it or not. Thankfully, with uh, such an overwhelming group of a unanimous vote demanding that he does release this stuff, um, the Senate and House could, could well overturn if he tries to veto this thing. I can think of nothing worse um, for people who are more conspiratorially minded than for Biden to try to shut this thing down with a veto, saying, nope, we're not going to share any information. There's been a lot of criticism about all these crazy conspiracy theories. Well, half of them have proven to be true. But even the outlandish ones, the reason you get conspiracy theories to become very popular among mainstream audiences is because they don't believe they can trust their government. They can't, they can't trust their media. They can't trust even their businesses. These have all been lying to the American people for a long, long time. And when people learn not to trust them, they start coming up with their own ideas. Some, they're going to get right. Others, they're going to get wrong. But if Washington wants to lecture people about conspiracy theories and how they spread, well, take a look in the mirror, folks. How about just leveling with the American people, being honest, stop being so secretive about every single thing that uh, you are in charge of, and maybe do that for another decade and maybe a couple more people will start to trust you. We have Spencer Claven on after this bottom of the hour break. Thanks for listening. Once again, this is John Gabriel on 960 The Patriot filling in for Seth Liebson. Talk to you on the other side. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth. I hope you are having a fantastic Friday as we close out the week. You might be driving home, um, actually driving to the station here. I had to deal with a uh, a little bit of a car accident, but I got here just in time, but we have um, some great chat and a few great guests as well. Our next guest here, another author, Spencer Claven, a great guy, and he's written a book recently, came out a few weeks ago now, called How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Spencer, how are you, sir?
0: Hey, John. I'm doing great. it's uh, Great to hear your voice. How are you?
1: Uh, doing fantastic. Well, as you know, I've gone a little bit of fanboy over this book. It's really <laughs> great. And you have this background in the classics, studying them, but you really show how everyday folks like myself – can really glean a lot from these classic works, all of our Western civilizational understanding, and kind of employ it to protect our society that a lot of people want to tear apart.
0: That's perfectly put, and I'm so glad that uh, it helped you in that way. It's why I wrote the book, is because we wake up every day and we're subjected to some new news cycle crisis. You know, something else is going wrong in the schools, and the economy, and the world at large. I mean, all these things just seem to be bearing down upon our heads. And I think a lot of people, it's, it's very easy to feel as if this stuff has never happened before. It's totally unprecedented. All this new technology has alienated us from ourselves and one another. Everything seems like it's never happened before and it's coming out of nowhere. And the great joy, the great benefit that you and I have both discovered, I think, of from, from studying the great text is that when you study history, when you read the classics, what you start to learn is that actually the fundamental questions at stake, the issues that we're really up against in these moments of crisis, are questions that have been around forever. Questions like, you know, what is a human being and what is his place in the universe? Is there a God and how can we know him? And these sorts of things, you know, people have been wrestling with this for a long, long time, basically as long as there have been human beings walking the earth. And the best thing about that is it means we're not alone. We don't have to face this just on our own meager intellectual resources. We don't have to rely on what Klaus Schwab or the WEF or, you know, Dr. Fauci says next. Uh, Those are not the only people available to us to tell us what our lives mean and what we should do. There is this enormous tradition of generations' worth of wisdom passed down from guys like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, the Bible. I mean, this stuff is here for you. It's not designed for some PhD to write a thesis about it. It was an attempt to communicate the best of what it is to be a human being. And those answers to those great questions that we're still facing in this urgent way, those answers are more sane, more ennobling, and more enriching in the tradition of uh, the West that I'm talking about uh, than they are really anywhere else. And and that's why I wrote the book is to give people access to that.
1: Yeah. And it's very straightforward. It's a brisk read. Uh, you explain things really well. One thing that is so important, we were talking last hour about all the struggles with teen depression. Uh, our kids are having these days, uh, mostly girls, but also a lot of guys as well. And what we're dealing with, and I've seen this with a lot of my daughter's friends, The crisis of the body, Um, you have the transgender insanity that gets the headlines. But this whole transhumanist future um, that people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere have been promoting seems to say, hey, this body is horrible. Why don't we do a lot of modifications to it to improve it? Mm -hmm. Upload our consciousness to the web, and if you're, if you feel uncomfortable going through puberty, which I'm sorry, every human being does, then 100 uh, of us, uh, right, right, then take out a scalpel (laughs) and change it. Um, What do you have to say about that? The crisis of the body and kind of our ancient understanding of hey, this is who we are. This is reality.
0: That's really a great question. It's well put because. This is a great example of something which
1: seems like it's
0: totally new, cutting-edge new, just never happened before. We have this transgender craze, this rapid uptick in gender dysphoria. And yet, actually, as you describe, that phenomenon, even though it makes the headlines, even though the transgender thing is really like front and center in the news, it's really just one version of a very, very ancient problem. And we can understand the problem better if we identify this root cause, which is disgust with the human body, this, this discomfort, as you say, with just growing up in the flesh that we are born with. And and that is something which goes right back to the beginning of philosophy. I mean, the distinction between body and soul, the way to think about the right relationship between these two things. Um, The Neoplatonists are kind of where I begin in that part of the book. These are followers of the Greek philosopher Plato and one of them, Plotinus, his biographer, says, well, he seemed ashamed of being in his body. And you think, well, why would that be? Why would he feel like he, he doesn't want to be in the in the body? And that's because, you know, we, we have these enormous uh, emotions, these feelings inside. And, let's, kind of of, and like, I'm yeah. sorry to
1: interrupt. Let's finish that thought on the other side, if that's OK. We have a quick ad break. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Be back with Spencer Claven here in a second. Welcome back. Yeah, see what I did there? We're talking with Spencer Claven, and I'm not used to this whole thing called commercial breaks. So I started you <laughs> on a brilliant exposition of Neoplatonic thought and Plotinus when it comes to um, thinking of the body as something horrible that we need to destroy or massively alter. And that's really where we are today with this current transgender and transhumanist, transhumanist craze. Why don't you continue on that, please?
0: I know us podcasters, we really have to wrap <laughs> our heads around <laughs> this, this paying new the format. bills. Yeah. This newfangled thing I called the radio, I right. um, Yeah, no. Well, so this—I was saying earlier—this transgender phenomenon is a really great example of something that seems new. It seems like it's never happened before. But actually, it's just a new version of an old, old problem. And that's the problem that I call the body crisis. Um, We all know that in our inner lives, we have this connection, the soul, to something bigger than ourselves. Our souls can discern truth. They can seek beauty. They can really you know, connect us to something beyond the physical world. And once that's true, you have to sort of ask yourself, well, why do I have to live in this body that's going to die, that gets sick, that gets old? I mean, these problems that really do face us in our flesh. And so ever since there have been philosophers, basically, there have been people asking this question, and there have been people who have believed that maybe it would be better to just kind of float up out of the flesh to be just a disembodied spark, a divine soul, and you could rearrange or discard your body however you want, and that's how people are talking about their bodies now. That same old promise, that same old disgust with having a body, the discomfort, as you mentioned, with going through puberty, these things are are very, very old, and they lead not just into transgenderism, but also into transhumanism, which is this new idea that you could upload yourself to the cloud, or you could just live in virtual space, and then every kind of thing that you might want to do with your body, you, you could do it. This never, ever works. That's the thing that we learn by studying this history, is that actually, every time we try to do this, we just end up making ourselves sicker and sadder and uh, more depressed, which is what you're seeing, as you mentioned earlier on. People are getting less and less happy. This is not working out for them. The tradition offers a better way. It's called hylomorphism, which is a word that comes out of Greek. Hyla means form. I mean, excuse me, Hyle means matter, and morphe means form or shape. The way that we shape ourselves into form. And what what the tradition teaches here is that the soul and the body are intertwined. Your body is not a mistake and your soul is not an illusion. Your body is the language for expressing your soul. It's the language that that encapsulates or embodies what what you are in the world. And once you realize that about yourself, it's a much more sane and denobling way to understand your, your humanity um, and to preserve it in the face of what's going to be a very very strange uh, future as this tech gets gets better we ought to recover that sense of our embodied souls as as crucial to our humanity
1: yeah absolutely and something else in your book how to save the west everybody go get it um, it it's something that's been interesting to watch and uh, I've probably talked to you before about this but About 10, 15 years ago, you had the new atheist saying, "Ah, anybody who believes in any kind of God or uh, adheres to any kind of religion is obviously a moron and an idiot. Well, now half of those same authors are like, hey, I had this vision quest on ayahuasca, and it really (laughs) opened my eyes. And I'm like, oh, so that not believing in anything transcendent didn't really pan out for you. And so we're really seeing – Religion reassert itself. You had a controversy over the week where somewhere in Florida they painted whatever the next generation of a of a uh, rainbow flag is on the ground. Now it's got yeah. all sorts of symbols and triangles that I don't know what everything even represents anymore. But it's they were complaining that they were nothing else yeah. right, right, and they were very upset that, after painting it on the road, there are now tire tracks on it, which is a shocking development. I must say the tire tracks uh covered it up, but it's weird because they're screaming about this as being defaced it, and this is like okay, you used to treat the cross that way a hundred years ago, right. and so right. we're seeing this weird reassertion of a kind of religion that changes constantly that uh, has a whole long list of sins and paths to damnation, but nothing for redemption.
0: Yeah, you know, there's this line in the Bible, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And I feel like I read that line for a long time, and I just sort of thought, oh, that just means like atheists are dumb. Right, Like, right. like if you're an atheist, you're stupid. Um, and I thought, like, okay, fair enough. But actually, the line is saying something much more profound, I think. I think that what that psalm is saying is if you tell yourself, That you don't have a god, that you don't worship something, you don't bend the knee to something, then you're making yourself a fool. You're kidding yourself. It's a kind of act of self-deception, because actually everybody wakes up in the morning and they, if they get out of bed and if they do things, they do things that they think are good, right? We're always aiming towards some goal, Um, and that goal is ultimately going to lead us to some highest good, something that we believe is the best thing. Um, and ultimately, we're going to bend the knee to that. That is a supernatural belief in the sense that it leads us in all of our actions in nature towards something beyond nature. And so, yeah, the reason that that new atheist thing got so outdated so quickly is because it's a train that went off the tracks. It's like, kind of, stop this train, I want to get off. You know, once you say, well, all of the world is just matter and math and science, Then the human heart is going to make a religion out of science because we always worship something. We're always seeking some highest good, Um, and that's what we're doing now with politics and religion both. We're we're saying, oh, Dr. Fauci represents the science. Trust the science, right? That's not science. That's (laughs) occult wisdom. That's like priesthood. You know, and we're doing this everywhere. Bending the knee to BLM, asking for forgiveness, for absolution, and as you say. The only thing that's different about these religions is they don't recognize themselves as a religion, and so they don't offer forgiveness or redemption.
1: Right, right. Just They just want to punish um, any kind of heretics that they uh, find. Um, now, what can we do? Everyday folks, uh, you mm. know, we work through the week. Uh, we try to be involved in our community. What can we do in our own lives to save the West as opposed to, I don't know, just hoping some president will fix everything for us?
0: Yeah, because that is the thing that we— start to do is we think, oh, well, we need to get this election fixed or we need to, you know, get the right law written. And, you know, politics matters. There's no question about that. We shouldn't disengage from from politics. But if we start to think about our salvation in terms of getting the right political outcome, um, that's when despair starts to set in because we don't ultimately have control. I'm not Ron DeSantis. You're not the president. I mean, much as the world might be better if we were, you know, in charge of everything. Uh, it's not the case. And so when we wake up every day, we have to have something that we can do and look to um, that can carry the best of the tradition forward. And this is why it matters to understand ourselves as inheritors of the West. We're not just American citizens, although that's very important and that's core to who we are and what our mission is. Um, We are also inheritors of a tradition, a, a wisdom tradition that goes All the way back to Athens and Jerusalem, and which lives in every human heart. It has to do with the principles you teach your kids. It has to do with the prayers you say. It has to do with the way you run your schools. And this is the sort of thing you can do in local neighborhoods, facing real human-sized problems. Every day you wake up and you carry that light. And that is a light that has endured the rising and the falling of nations far, far older than ours. I don't think it's a matter of indifference what happens to America. But I do think that no matter what happens in the future, which nobody can know, our job is to carry that light. And we do that every day.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't not have put that better myself. Everybody rush out and get How to Save the West, ancient wisdom for five modern crises. Spencer Clavin, great to chat with you once again.
0: Always so lovely. Thanks, John.
1: Thank you. And we'll be back after the break, folks, here on The Seth Liebson Show with John Gabriel filling in. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel, your loyal renegade, guest hosting today. Great to chat with Spencer Clavin and really delving into these bigger issues. What we're saying with politics, I know the media wants to distract you with the outrage of the day, the new conflict, the new controversy that people are blabbing about on MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or whatever it might be. It's just important to keep the grand sweep of history in mind and understand that all of us can make a big difference right close to home. Here in Phoenix, chatting amongst each other, or um, when you go smaller, your neighborhood, your church, your synagogue, your school, there's all sorts of things we can do to turn the tide back. And uh, yeah, we should work our hearts out for politicians we think will actually listen to us and do what we want them to do. But ultimately, it's up to each of us. And once those politicians we like get in office to hold their feet to the fire, uh, Founding Fathers, they are pretty smart guys. They read all these classics and when they were creating the system. And they expected not only for us to show up on Election Day, but to keep engaged, uh, to keep engaged locally in our local town halls, whatever format they might be for us these days, and also uh, hold to account our state leaders, our city leaders, our federal leaders, and make sure that they do what is right. So, um, great reminder. Like I said, the book "How to Save the West" is a really just a brisk read. It's not, you know. I started reading the classics earnestly about four or five years ago, and I thought it'd be painful. I thought, oh, I'd be eating my vegetables. I should probably read it. It's probably smart for me to read this stuff because smart people recommend it. A lot of it is actually very fun. Some great adventure stories as well. I recommend um, The Anabasis by Epic or not by Epictetus, I'm sorry, by Xenophon. Um, read Epictetus as well. But yeah, it's fantastic knowledge, and you really do understand how the human nature, it just doesn't change. We're always a little goofy, and a lot of really smart people have spent a lot of time thinking about these issues and how to live your best life in the here and now, and hand down a prosperous civilization to uh, everybody who comes after us. So I highly recommend once again reading that. And yeah, pick up an old book. It's a good antidote to the craziness we get uh, with a short attention span media that we have, trying to get us all upset and outraged about things. Uh, kick back, read a good book, read the Bible, read some ancient Greek dude. Uh, there's a lot to learn from these people who came before us And uh, if we keep our connection with what came before, we can really set up a much better future than what we're dealing with right now. Once again, John Gabriel filling in for Seth Liebson here on 960 The Patriot. Enjoy the break, catch up on the news, and uh, enjoy your drive home if that's what you're doing. We will be back to you in a few minutes. Thanks for listening.